Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, we're continuing our look at the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And in our text this morning, Jesus is shifting from talking about how we relate to God through giving, through prayer, and through fasting, which has been the last three weeks, how we relate to God. And now he's shifting in his focus on how do we relate to money and possessions. Now remember, as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, what the Sermon on the Mount is about is that it's really Jesus' description of what life should look like for those who believe the gospel. What should life look like? How should the truths of the gospel impact the, the, the life and the conduct of people who claim to believe this gospel? So in this section, Jesus is talking about money and possessions. And in, in, in these five short verses, we're going to see four things that Jesus talks about when it relates to money and possessions. He's going to show us what money reveals. We're going to see what money conceals. We're going to see what money demands. And then finally, we're going to see how to be free. What money reveals, what money conceals, what money demands. I couldn't make the last one rhyme, I'm sorry. How to be free. So first, what money reveals. And and Jesus begins to show us what money reveals by kind of giving us a tale of two treasures, you could say. So look at verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. This, this, that phrase, store up, literally means to put away for future use. Now, is what Jesus is saying here is he's speaking against savings accounts. Is he saying that you shouldn't have a general savings account, that you should never invest money, that you should never, ever, ever store away for future use? Is Jesus saying that, that it's categorically wrong to save money at all? Well, that certainly can't be the case because we, we see in several places in Scripture, but I'll just name two. Like, for example, in Proverbs, uh, the, the person who saves money is likened to the ant who stores up provisions during the summer in order to prepare for the winter. And that, that person likened to this ant who saves is said to be wise. And we even see at the end of the book of Genesis, as God gives Joseph a vision of the future coming famine, God also gives him the wisdom to have the nation of Egypt store up provisions so that that God's people would not starve in the famine. So Jesus isn't speaking against any kind of wise saving for the future, but notice notice what he says. He doesn't say, don't store up money. What does he say? He says, don't store up treasure. Treasure. I recently read the first two books of The Lord of the Rings. Yes, I'll finish the third. I'm just 
working on it, okay? So give me a break. So read through the first two books. Uh, I had never seen the movies. I had never read the books. It's a, this year is the 20th anniversary of The Lord of the Rings. And so I figured to celebrate the 20th anniversary, I would actually know what that story is about. So, um, so I read through the books and I've, I've watched the movies along the way. And if you've seen the movie or if you've read the books, you know that the story of The Lord of the Rings is a story about this one special ring. And the struggle throughout the story is the struggle between whether the person owns the ring or whether the ring owns the person, right? Frodo, Bilbo, Gollum, Sam, do they own the ring or does the ring own them? And you know, if you've seen the movies, you probably have seen the movies by now, two decades. You know that throughout the movie, that, the, that whoever is overcome by the ring's power, who's overcome by the ring's allure, who's overcome by the ring's beauty and beckoning call, that that person over time begins to refer to the ring as what? Precious. My precious. Or to use the words of Jesus, your treasure. You see, owning something is different than being owned by it. Having something is different than that thing having you. It's different than treasuring it. To treasure something, to tre we all treasure something. It's not a matter of like if you treasure something, it's a matter of what you treasure. And when you treasure something, it's to say, if I have this, then it'll all be worth it. If I have this, then maybe I'll be worth it. If I have this, then I'll be happy. If I have this, then I'll be safe. If I have this, then I'll have meaning. You see, your treasure is whatever you prize most dearly. It's whatever you prize most dearly. It's whatever you look to to bring you safety and security. That's your treasure. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is he's saying is that if where you find your treasure if where you find your greatest happiness, if where you find your greatest security is in anything on this earth, then your happiness, your status, your security faces unavoidable threats. Unavoidable threats. What are those threats? What kind of threats? Don't store up for, your, for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Now, in the ancient world, not, not too different, actually, than, than our world today. But in the ancient world, wealth was measured primarily through precious metals. Interesting how we say precious metals, right? Through precious metals and through fabric. This is, this is why uh, uh, one, of the, one, of the early, one of the leading women in the early church is described as being a seller of fine purple fabrics. It's a, it's a measure of status, a measure of wealth. And we're, we're very much the same aren't we? If you have a closet full of clothes and a bank account full of money, then you're good. Or at least you have reached some sort of, some sort of status, some sort of level of security. You probably paid close attention to the closets when you were looking for your house, didn't you? Or your apartment, maybe. You walk in, does this master bedroom have a closet? If it doesn't have a closet, is it really the master bedroom? Certainly not. How many closets does it have? How big are these closets? Could I park my car in this closet? If, if my wife and I have a fight, could I sleep in this closet for a period of time? Can I walk into this closet? 
But in Jesus's day, people didn't have the target sales section. People didn't have free two-day shipping with free returns. Uh, you can just take it to Kohl's, drop it off. They'll take care of it for you. They didn't have that. Most people would have really had only one pair of clothes. Clothes were handmade. They weren't mass produced back then. Like, like you had like a loom to make your clothes, right? And you go to someone who would make them for you. And so clothing was incredibly, incredibly valuable. So even if they had a walk-in closet, they would have had like one thing to put in there. Their clothes would have been incredibly valuable, just a few valuable items, but then here come the moths. Here come the moths. Or to be more precise, did you know that, that moths don't actually eat your clothes? It's not the adult moths that do that. Here, it's even worse than that. What happens is they lay their eggs in your clothes and it's the larva that eats your clothes. That's disgusting. Little leech moth larva eating your clothes. Gives you the heebie-jeebies, right? Like, but they like, like there's like holes in your clothes that they eat away. Moth and rust. We live in Iowa. We know what rust is. We know what it is. Maybe that's why when you bought your car, you, you paid for the, for the uh, what is that? Like the undercoating. And you're like, I don't even think this is a thing. I think this is just for them to make more money. But I don't want my car to rust out. So I'll pay the extra for the undercoating. Maybe that's why you wash your car more in the winter. So to get all the salt off of it more quickly. In their day, in, in a highly agrarian culture, we can really relate to this. Living in Iowa, they would have had, like their farm tools would have rusted away. The very things that they used to cultivate their fields, to provide food for their families, would literally be rusting away in front of their eyes. But here's the thing. Even if you vacuum seal all your clothes, even if you clear coat all of your metals, even if you take all of the necessary precautions to, to preserve the things that you have, Jesus says, yeah, moth and rust can destroy, but check that out, you can, you can prevent those. Thieves can still break in and steal. You can take all of the precautionary steps to preserve what you have and then someone more clever or more sneaky than you can come in and just steal it. And so in, in essence, you have preserved it for the thief. In other words, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, you will never find a way to ensure absolute security with your earthly treasures. Your money, your bank account, your stocks, your bonds, your house, your health, your family, your children, your job. For all the things that you will do to, to try to preserve those, to try to keep those safe, to try to store them up, to try to keep them from calamity, all it takes is a market crash. All it takes is a housing bubble. All it takes is a restructuring and your job is gone. All it takes is an explosion of inflation. And what you thought you had is now less than what you thought you had. All it takes is a phone call. All it takes is a car accident, a lab test. For you and I to realize what was true all along and that there is no true security to be had in the things of this earth. Back in 2002, 20 years ago, if you would have invested $100 in Nike, today that would be worth about $2,600. You go, okay, that's not bad. 20 years ago, 
If you had invested $100 into Apple, now keep in mind, this is pre-iPhone. Apple wasn't yet as cool as it was or as it is. In 2002, you invest $100 in Apple. Today, it'd be worth about $50,000. 20 years ago. And some of you, I know what you're thinking. You're going, if only I would have known. If only I could have predicted. If only someone could have told me. A little insider trading, please. Come on, Steve Jobs. Tell me that the iPhone's going to come out. And I could invest $100. And it would, it would yield this kind of return if only I knew. But what Jesus is saying is you want an investment tip? You want to know what a good investment is? You want to know what a secure investment is? Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Don't store up here, but store up here. Now, what, what, what are treasures in heaven? What is that? You know, how do I wire money to heaven? How do you do that? Is that what the cloud is? I don't think so. How do you store up treasures in heaven? To store up treasures in heaven means, I put this up on the screen. I, use, I try not to put paragraph definitions in front of you, but here's one. To store up treasures in heaven means to invest your earthly possessions in those things that contribute to the development of godly character within yourself, the advancement of the gospel to others, the meeting of needs for the poor and the vulnerable, and the magnification of the glory and worth of Jesus to the ends of the earth. That's what it means to store up treasures in heaven. In other words, the most sure investment of your earthly resources is within those things that will last beyond this earth. Because here's what money does. Here's what money reveals. Money reveals what you actually love. Jesus says it as much in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You've probably heard it said. You've probably said it at some point in your life in some sort of situation. Well, I, I, don't, I, I don't know their heart. I can't read their heart. I can't tell you what's like actually in their heart. But what Jesus is saying is that there actually is a way to discern the heart of a person. And more importantly, to discern your heart. There is an objective way to discern what is true of your heart. Look at where you spend your money. Because what money reveals is the place where your heart actually rests. For some of you, your greatest desire is to have status. For some of you, your greatest desire is to have significant. And so in order to get status and significance, you use money to live in a certain kind of house, to live in a certain kind of neighborhood, to, to drive a certain kind of car, to eat at certain kinds of places, to do certain kinds of things on the weekends or on vacations, to wear certain kinds of clothings, to maintain a certain kind of lifestyle. You use money because for you, where your heart fundamentally rests 
is when you feel as though you have status or significance before people. So you use money for these things, hoping that it will project the significance that you hope other people will ascribe to you. Hoping that maybe you'll feel worth something. Or maybe your greatest desire isn't status. Maybe for some of you, my guess is for a lot of you, is that your greatest desire, the place where your heart is most at rest is when you feel like you're in control. I can just control my surroundings. If, if I can just control my family, if I can control my spouse, if I can control my kids, if I can control my environment. Because when you're in control, that's when you feel safe. So for you, you say, if I have this, then I'll be safe and secure. Like some of you feel like if you have money, then you have, then you have control in an uncontrollable world. And so in light of that desire for safety and security, your strategy is to be incredibly generous toward yourself when it comes to savings and incredibly stingy when it comes to giving. So that's what money reveals. Money reveals what you love. Money reveals what you treasure. But money also conceals something. What does money conceal? Now, Jesus says something right here in the middle of this passage that is really interesting. It feels a little out of place, honestly, because it, it seems like in verses 19 through 21 that Jesus is talking about money, and then in verse 24, he's talking about money, and then there's this weird kind of two verses about eyesight here in verse 22 and 23. Here's what he says. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Like, why this little, this little lesson on eyesight? Did Jesus, like, remember some of his op optometry homework at this? Like, what is going on? Well, Jesus is saying, quite simply is that just as bad eyesight blinds you to what's in a room, no matter how bright that room is, in the same way, greed and materialism has a way of blinding you spiritually. And here's how it works. Materialism has a way of blinding you to materialism. Greed has a way of blinding you toward your own greed. You see, greed is actually different than other sins in this way. Like if you're committing adultery, it's not as though you'll look over and go, oh, you're not my wife. As if it was a surprise. It's like, no, you can, you can pretty obviously tell if you're committing adultery. It's not so with greed. It's not so with materialism. It's not as easy to point out. See, I have never, I've been a pastor for 12 years. I have never heard anyone confess the sin of greed. Not once. So either what that means is that in 12 years, I have never met a greedy person or it's that greed has a way of blinding us toward our own greed. Isn't it interesting 
how you, some of you connection group leaders, I've talked to you. Some of you can predict your connection group attendance based on the message. You can. You go, oh, this is gonna be a low week. And usually for two reasons. One, because that was a hard teaching and people aren't gonna wanna talk about it. So they're just not gonna come. Or two, that was a hard teaching, but people don't actually think that that applies to them. So what's the point? Why, do go, why go to connection? Why discuss a sermon on greed and materialism when <laughs> I'm not greedy and materialistic? Of course not. Now, now, none of us think that we're greedy because it's very likely that you know someone who has more than you. That you know someone who has a bigger house, who drives a nicer car, who wears nicer clothes. And so, so like relative to your environment, you go, how could I be greedy when I know this person who has all those things? But here's the thing. Greed actually is not firstly a matter of what you have. It's firstly a matter of what you love. You see, it's very possible. In fact, it's, it's, it's likely that the people that you know that have more than you actually love what they have less than you love what you have or what you wished you had. What Jesus is saying is watch out because greed has a way of concealing greed. So if you're sitting here this morning thinking, I'm not greedy, let's just move on. I wonder what songs we're gonna sing after this. That's, that, could, that is likely actually a sign that this is a problem for you. So money reveals our heart. Money or greed has a way of concealing greed. Number three, what does money demand? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters since either he since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, when money and possessions, or, or what you think money and possessions will bring you, status, security, assurance, when those things are the treasure of your heart, then what that treasure will demand is your full allegiance. See, what's true is that you put money toward what you value most. What you value most always controls what you do. It always does. You will always sacrifice for what you value. You always will. Isn't it interesting how it'll be really easy, and I do this too, okay? So don't, pot, kettle, okay? So we're both in this, right? Where it's so easy to walk through a passage on greed and materialism, and to walk away and to think of all the excuses as to why we can't give money away, but then isn't it interesting how you come across that item or you start thinking about that vacation or you come across that investment opportunity and somehow you find a way to make it work. Isn't that interesting? Well, if I just move this around, if I just sell this, and then, I, then I'll move it over here, I can, I can figure it out. 
Isn't it interesting how we can become conveniently creative when it comes to explaining why we can't be generous? And then we can get just as conveniently creative when it comes to getting what we want. You see, greed and materialism will demand that you sacrifice giving in order to focus on getting. It'll demand that you sacrifice giving in order to focus on getting. It'll demand that you sacrifice serving others through your resources in order that you can save for yourself. So finally, how can we be free? How can we be free? See, the only way kingdom people can ever be free from greed and materialism, you, you, you want to be free from greed, you want to be free from materialism, you want to be free from the power of possessions, you want to own the things that you own instead of the things that you own owning you as a kingdom person, how do you do that? The only way you'll ever stop looking to money to give you your ultimate status and to give you your ultimate security, the only way is by first seeing that while every earthly treasure will insist that you sacrifice to purchase it, Jesus is the only treasure who sacrificed himself to purchase you. Every other treasure you could love on this earth will insist, will demand that you make sacrifices, that you even go so far as to die in order to get it. And Jesus is the only treasure who looked at you and said, so that I can have you, I will die to purchase you. It's when you see that because of Jesus, you've gone from a cursed enemy of God to an adopted son and daughter that you will actually recognize the true status and security that you've always wanted, that you've been looking to money for. It's when you see that because of Jesus, your life is now hidden with Christ in God that no one is able to snatch you out of the Father's hand. And it's when you see that that you can stop grasping for control, that you can stop grasping for security in the things of this world because you're secure in the Father's hand. So how are we free from greed and materialism? First, freedom from greed begins with seeing Jesus' sacrificial generosity towards you. But it also means this. Freedom from greed will come when you actually see that the diagnosis is also the cure. What do I mean by that? The diagnosis of your greed is also the cure for your greed. Here's what I mean. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in one sense, that is a diagnostic tool. What do I love? Look at what I give my money towards. That's the diagnosis. But here's the thing. It's also the cure, which means that if you want your heart to change, start giving toward what you want your heart to love. You notice that? So if you want to love the things of God more than the things of earth, 
Start giving your money toward the things of God. If you want to love the nations more, start giving your money towards God's work among the nations. If you want to love the church more, your church family, which is God's plan A for his glory being displayed to the nations, you want to love the church more, start giving your money to the church. And now, now I know some of you are going, there it is. <laughs> like, that was the point of the sermon, wasn't it? Like, this is a giving campaign thing. Here's the deal. It, I, I wish I could assure you as much as I deeply feel it in my bones, as one of your pastors, I care so much less about where you give your money and so much more about, the fa- about just that you give it somewhere. You wanna give your money to Candeo? Great, I think that's a great investment. But if you don't, I don't care. Like throw it out the window as you're driving home. I do not care. Now, let me know where, which way you're driving. So. <laughs> but for real, like I care so much more about what you, you giving money away does for your heart than I care like, well, make sure you give it here and make sure you give it here and make... Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how do you begin to change what you love? You say, I can't change what I love. Oh, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. How do you change what you love? Start giving your money towards the things that you want to love more. Because according to Jesus, as you give your money towards those things, even though you don't feel it, you're like, oh, gosh, I you will begin to love those things more because that's where you're putting your treasure. Now you might ask, so how much, how much should I give? What a, what a question, huh? We have five minutes, sure. How much should I give? The Bible gives a vision of generosity that kingdom people give away enough money that it actually affects their lifestyle. It's the kind of giving that means you actually have to adjust how you live. Now, for most people at most times and most places, the tithe was the goal. Maybe you've heard that word, the tithe, 10%. Giving away 10% of your income was a good place to, was a good place to start because for most people, in most places, and most times, giving away 10% of your income actually meant that you had to change your lifestyle. That's why. And it's true, likely, for many of you that as you think about giving, as you think about generosity, as you think about about having money not just flow to you but flow through you, that as you think of giving away 10% of my income, oh my word, that would be a huge shift of my lifestyle. That's probably the case for many of you. And now there, there may be some of you and I think increasingly, especially in the West, that 10% may not even begin to scratch the surface. Because, because don't mishear me here. The, the point isn't a rigid grasp on 10% as a rule. No, the point is sacrificial giving. Like the point is not 10%. The point is the cross. 
in the sacrifice of Christ. And that we would adjust our giving in such a way that it would actually affect our lives as a display of the actual effect that the gospel has on our lives. And so when kingdom people see the great significance and worth of their king, the appropriate response is to worship him with thankfulness, to cling to him with both hands, as it were. And have you, have you ever tried to cling to something like you've been carrying groceries in from your car? You've noticed, and if you're like, you're like a one-trip person, right? So you got all the bags. You know, this, this is why I work out, so I can carry all the groceries in at once. And you know, you're like, you got your hands full. When you have your hands full of something, it means you don't have enough room to hold on to anything else. That's what the kingdom person does. As they cling to Jesus, they loosen their grip on everything else. I'll end with this because I don't want to steal too much thunder from Stephen's text next week, but I, I recently heard a story about a little girl named Gracie. Gracie's six years old. Uh, she goes to a church up in Minneapolis and she received $20 from her grandparents. Now, when you're six years old, $20 might as well be a million dollars because you, may, you might have just learned how to count to 20, but this is, it's an exorbitant amount of money when you're six. And so Gracie, that Sunday, went to church with her parents, and as they were in the church service, they were sitting there, they had, they had a, a missionary from overseas who had come, and they were talking about what God was doing, in their, specifically in their work with, uh, with children and, and orphans overseas, and what God was doing. And Gracie's sitting there listening, coloring away, and at the end of the service, they, they took up... Uh, a love offering, right? I don't know why we call it that. Um, they passed the plate to, to raise money for this work that was being done with orphans overseas. And, and as they're sitting there, Gracie's dad looks down and sees Gracie pull out the $20 from her pocket to put in the plate when it comes by. And he sees her and he bends down and says, says oh, sweetheart, I, I have a 10. I got two fives. Like, if you want to give half of that, if you want to give $5, like you don't have to give your whole $20, right? And holding her $20, Gracie looked up at her dad and said, I'm a kid. I don't need money because I have a daddy. <laughs> I don't need money because I have a daddy. Many of you are stressed out of your minds when it comes to your finances because you've forgotten that you have a heavenly father. Many of you are stingy with your finances because you've totally forgotten that you have a heavenly father who sees you, who loves you, who has already sacrificially provided for your greatest need, how much more will he care for your needs now? So church, stop hoarding your money as though you were an orphan with no heavenly father to care for you, but instead be generous because you have a heavenly father who has been and will continue to be generous towards you. He knows all that you need. 
and he will provide as you walk in obedience and treasure him above the things of this earth. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a privilege it is to call you Father. You are our heavenly Father. You care for us as your children. And in so many ways, you have given us more than we deserve. And in so many ways, you've given us more than many of us even need. Oh, Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you would change the affections of our hearts, that we would value Christ above all else, that that would loosen our grip on the things of this world, that we would be a generous people, a giving people, because you have so generously given towards us. We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.